Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast with a trillion dollar valuation. I'm Scott Phillips and with me is the straw man himself, Mr. Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. One trillion dollars. That'd be nice, Do you like it? that? Well, yes. I, I'm just saying if uh, there are listeners out there with money and I'm just saying they can have the podcast if they would like it and I will only charge them a trillion. I mean, I'll have it with you because that's only fair. But <laughs> tr- trillion dollars is the valuation I've put on the Motley Fool Money podcast. That's fair, isn't it? <laughs> is that a PE of infinity? You don't have to have a PE these days, mate. You don't have, have to have a PE these days. In fact, if you've got a PE, you actually get marked down. It's actually better to be a loss-making hyper-growth stock than a, than a moderately profitable one because you, you can't be worth really fast. A, a PE of, of, of infinity, as you say, is better than a PE of 1,000 because once you've got, once you've got earnings, then people start expecting more from you. I figure as long as we're, as long as we're loss-making, we're in a good place. <laughs> well, the thing, the, the valuation could be $1 and it's still a P of infinity because of the denominator. So, exactly. Uh, so, might as well be a trillion dollars, right? Might as well. Might as well. I'm, I'm going to go with <laughs> okay. that. There you go. You can buy me out for half that if you want to, of course. Mate, if you want the podcast for yourself, just let me know. I'll take half a trillion. Let me, let me just let me make some calls. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move a bit of money around. Yeah. He's a very connected man, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised at all if next week it's the Motley Fool Money podcast only starring Andrew Page. That's because I'm in the Bahamas somewhere because he's rattled the tin and uh, found some petty cash down behind the lounge and all of a sudden he's, uh, he's the, the full owner of you the Motley Fool Money podcast. He is the full owner, almost the full owner anyway, of strawman.com, the... What is it, mate? So something, something, something club? It's an online it's... investment club, as you I well you know, that. sir. As you well know. <laughs> I do, I do. There's no fun if I say It's more fun if I make you say it. And, of course, The Motley Fool provides investment advice. Uh, general advice only from both of us. Um, but we're also doing a podcast, which is lots of fun. Mate, it's been a, a heck of a week, as I say most weeks, because, man, if it doesn't feel like seven days ago we were chatting and, and here we are again. Uh, fascinating this week, a couple of big, big bits. And it's kind of... I don't know. I, I've said this lots of times. I feel like we're, we're, we're we've been in uncharted waters for years, right? Almost since the GFC, super low interest rates, um, you know, the, the costs and, and policies or lack thereof of climate change, the changes to the way business is being done, technology wise. Some of the businesses that are now worth a small fortune. We will get to the trillion dollar valuation in a minute. Not just of us, but another one other company with you know only moderately more more sales than us. Um, <laughs> be a big week. The latest news as we go to where we as we get away, as we record this on the twenty eighth Thursday the twenty eighth of October is I think CBA I think it is is the third big financial institution to come out and effectively say the RBA is wrong. We're going to see rate hikes possibly as early as next year on the back of what seems to be stubbornly high inflation, and I'm not even sure the RBA would mind that quite honestly. They've given their best guesses to when it was going to be, but the RBA mm. wants inflation. They want the economy to be growing. They want some pricing pressure because they feel like a bit of moderate pricing pressure makes for a healthier economy. Mm. And yeah, as I said, mate, I think it's NAB, CBA and AMP, I want to say. Maybe, maybe I think it's right. Maybe ANZ. Uh, anyway, three of them are, are basically saying, look, you know, November 2022, apparently the bond market's pricing in, believe it or not, one full percentage point. Yeah. Rate increase in the next couple of years. Mm. So maybe the RBA is right. I mean, he gets to make the call, right? He can thumb as everybody and say, I don't care what your forecast, I'm going to do what I want to do, and they will. Mm. Seems like they're coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I feel as though that's probably probably likely. And as we've mentioned before, so much depends on what happens overseas and yeah. things well beyond our control. And I mean, it's just that the, 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 our price is rising well, unquestionably. In fact, really, at mm. historically massively high rates. Is it is it a one off near term bump because of some, thing, um, right? supply chain bottlenecks, mm-hmm. um, or is it something that's more lasting? That's the million dollar question. No one knows, of course, but um, it, it does as feel as though there are, to use the the parlance of our industry, risks <laughs> to the upside there. Yeah, I, oh, I hate risk to the upside. Although in inflation, maybe it is the case. Mm. Let's go back to uh, on inflation a little bit, mate, because I, I just want to kind of set the scene for people who maybe don't, uh, haven't spent as long thinking about this stuff or, or aren't as informed on this stuff just because, frankly, most people have got better things to do with their time than you and I. Uh, so so we spend a bit of time doing this sort of stuff. Inflation, a little bit of inflation is good and it's generally good because it suggests to 
people, that the economy is functioning, that is the demand is picking up in a way that supply is having to try and keep up with. There's a nice healthy tension and that obviously creates price increases by definition. If you've got too much you know, money chasing not enough goods, that creates price inflation. That's kind of the point. So when mm. demand picks up, that's supposed to be good. The other reason is because if you've got deflation, in other words, if prices are going down, why would I buy my $40,000 Camry today if I could buy it for $38,000 in six months' time? And yeah. the answer is you wouldn't, right? You simply wait. And so once you get into a deflationary spiral, it tends to be a spiral because that creates its own problem. So, it, you know, if, if, if there is deflation, you're going to wait to buy something, the sellers respond by dropping the price to try and convince you to buy. Mm. So they actually create the deflation that I'm expecting, so I'm right. But because there's deflation, I'm going to say, well, hang on, I'll, I'll, if it's now 38, I'll wait until it's $36,000. Mm. And that sort of problem, uh, maybe it's not Camry's, maybe it's something else, but that kind of problem is is why they are so desperate to put some kind of inflationary pressure a little bit back into the economy. Plenty of people listening going, hang on, <laughs> thanks very much, but I'd rather not pay more for my rent. I'd rather not pay more for my fuel. I'd rather not pay more for my groceries. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, not going to pay rise, what's going on? And that's the other side of the RBA's comment, right? They are saying we want to wait till there are wage increases spurred by inflation increases. Mm. And this might be where the rubber hits the road because the question really is, do we get wage increases out of this if we don't? then the RBA has got a double problem because they've got inflation. That means our living standards are actually going backwards because if prices go up faster than wages, well, we could afford less stuff. Mm. So it's a, it's a remarkable challenge. It feels as though there's definitely going to be wage inflation in some sectors, especially sectors that have depended heavily in the past on overseas workers and that we just yep. can't find them. And so mm. what do you do? Well, you, you have to increase prices to attract people. So yeah. there's, it, it seems as though that's, that's going to be uh, a feature. Mm. Um, again, is it lasting or not? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> did you see during the week Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter and Square, saying there will be hyperinflation? Did you, did you note that I, one? I did note that one. That, uh, that is a very look. There's a lot of smart people talking about inflation. The word hyperinflation, yeah. like sort of, it conjures these images, black and white images of you know mm-hmm. the, the depression of people walking around with with wheelbarrows full of That's worthless exactly paper. Right. You know yeah. that, that that is yeah. a strong term. Um, rightly sort of uh, lampooned and criticised, I think, on, on social media. People sort of saying, you may be over, over you're, you're gilding the lily a little bit too much <laughs> on this one. But it's, but it's, it's interesting, right? Um, what, what did you make of it? I agree, I, I, I agree with you, mate. I, I think, so here's the thing. Jack Dorsey runs a social media company and a payments company. Uh, and I'm going to, look, I'm not going to be, I'm going to a little bit kind to Jack here. Um, I think the predictions are stupid. But they're probably no less or more stupid than other predictions made by other people who have seemingly similar lack of idea because the future is unknowable. Mm. So there's kind of that idea of like, you know, I can say there's going to be no inflation. Jack says hyperinflation. One of us will eventually be right. One of us will look like a genius. The other one won't. And you go, okay, well, what did that prove? You know, two people guessed. They had a view. Um, I don't, Jack's a smart guy. Don't get me wrong. But he's, he's not possessed with any better insight or for, for, sorry, foresight more specifically than every central bank governor, every, you know, major international bank chief economist and, and the whole lot, right? There's a range of ideas. No one can know for sure. Mm. And it's one of those situations, I will say again, we've said this kind of before, but the thing with predictions is eventually someone's going to be right by definition. I'll, I'll invoke your favourite quote, Andrew, the one I, I remember you most for is that even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> not not mine, unfortunately, but yes, it no, is. I know, it's one line. you do like. Yep. A, a, a pageism of, of, of long repute. Um <laughs> And it's you know it's one of those it's one of those things where you know eventually someone's going to call it right and then we fate it as some sort of guru genius you know uh, crystal ball gazing something and and they'll you know do speaking engagements for hundred thousand dollars a pop and never buy beer again because they'll always have someone to shout them a drink but you kind of go well hang on three people make three different calls big little and somewhere in between someone ends up being right you're, oh like you all along it's like no they were just you know it's like like I think it's Buffett's example of if you got everyone in America to toss a coin someone eventually is going to toss ten heads in a row. By mm. definition, because like random chance just does that. So I don't know, mate. I think I think it was stupid to try and say what's going to happen. No one knows. It's reasonable to say, hey, I think there might be some risks here and are we prepared for them? What might we do? So again, prepare rather than predict is probably my general approach here. Mm. Um, but I, just thought, I thought it was just silly. There's no, there's no point in him saying there's going to be because um, predictions are just dumb. They, they're useless. You and I know this well. We've spent too long in this industry and seen too many people make outlandish calls. Even the knuckleheads who every six months come out and say, prices, house prices could crash 40%. And they, they said, oh, no, we just said they could. That was our worst case. Like, <laughs> okay, sure, fine. So I'm going to make a prediction now that share prices over the next, month, next year could fall 50%. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying they're good. That's fine. Mm. If I'm right, they go, see, I told you. I gave you the report. You knew it was going to possibly going to happen. 
just just bloody stupid. It makes I'm tempted to rehash a, an old scam of old where what I might do is I might just create a hundred different Twitter accounts yeah. and, and for each of them make just different predictions and then you know yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and one of you know one of them is going to be right on a whole yeah. range of different just statistically right yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then I can say ah oh, look at this this wow the guy who's running this Twitter account has made like eighteen in a row correct predictions and then and yeah. then I and then I launch my ten thousand dollar a year subscription service and exactly exactly money fortune because you're genius um, that's right anyone out there who wants to try that uh, fantastic just send me a, a bit of a commission <laughs> on mm, your scam exactly. and uh, right. we'll, we'll, we'll be laughing it's that Andrew, easy folks it's that Andrew's easy. kidding for the good people I ask this thing he's kidding I promise um, the other one that's coming up now mate and this is one that I kind of you know there's very few benefits of getting old one of them is you don't have to re you'd have to reread the textbooks. So do you, you went through? Did you do economics at uni at all? I know you did science. Did you do any commerce subjects at school? Or at anything? high school, not at not at university. Okay. No. Did no. you do stagflation? Do you remember reading about stagflation being taught yes. that by a year eleven economics I teacher? I do. So so that's where you have uh, inf- inflation, but without with flat economic or declining equ- economic growth. Spot on. So in theory, you're supposed to if you have inflation, you're supposed to get growth. Um, if you don't have inflation, you don't get growth. Those are supposed to go hand in hand. And right now, over the last what seven or eight years, we've had moderate to kind of tepid growth, no inflation. Mm. So they kind of, you know, they, they, they normally work in lockstep. You're not supposed to, according to the textbook, have high inflation and no growth. It's not supposed to happen. So they coined a term in the late 70s, early 80s called stagflation. And the benefit of Andrew and I being of a certain age is we learnt those things at school. I learnt that at uni as well. And that's been of zero use in the last, well, X number of years. I won't say exactly how many. But now all of a sudden, mate, we're geniuses again. We are the experts. They come and talk to the old people, say, hey, guys, tell me about the stagflation. I can tell you everything about it, son. Let me tell you about the Berlin Wall and command economies and the wage accord while I'm there. Um, it's a, it's, it's, that's the other thing. So on one hand, on one hand, Jack's saying st- hyperinflation. On the other hand, there's people worried about stagflation. It wasn't that many years ago. I'm sure I could Google um, any number of articles saying that central banks had killed inflation, that the problem was over, it was done. It's just one of those things, right? It's a bit like um, who was who was it, who was the author who wrote about the end of history? You, 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 no, you're a, you're a polymath. You're a well-read man, <laughs> a Renaissance man. I would I would do a sneaky Google search if my <laughs> keyboard wasn't so loud. Um, I, you're uh, you're uh, while you're talking, I'm doing exactly that, so I'll find it. <laughs> end of history. Francis Fukuyama wrote oh. a book called The End of History, and his idea was, hey, democracy's right. one. Capitalism's one, it's done, that, that, that's it, we're done, right? Mm. And of course, surprise, surprise, that was 1992, not even that long ago. Well, hey, I by can, the way, mate, yeah, the 80s is 40 years ago. Oh. Well, I can give, <laughs> I can give a, a, so I didn't do economics, I did science, and there mm. were plenty of people 100 years ago saying, uh-huh. that's it, we figured it out. There's yeah. nothing, there is nothing <laughs> left to discover. To discover. <laughs> um, you know, all the big, the big things, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. in physics, et cetera. But, yeah, yeah, and, right. and, then, and here we are, you know, discovering God particles and the rest of it. So... Mm-hmm. Oh, these are very, it's a lot of hubris for, for anyone to sort of say, yeah, we've got it figured out at, at this point. Um, I, it's just not that easy. New normals, mate, are really rare. Lots of predictions for new normals. Yeah. The old normal tends to come back, doesn't it? Say, hey, remember me, I'm still here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's what that's what. I, I do like the idea that history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Ah, which is slight, slightly different kind of take there. But there yeah. are, there. Are, I, I do think we ignore many of the lessons from history at our peril. Mm. It doesn't mean mm. that things, you know, what happened in the 70s, we're, we're, we're going to see that exact situation again. We, we never will. It, it, mm, it was mm. a unique time and place. But, but there are all kinds of lessons from, from yeah. history that I think we, we are better off for understanding and, and being prepared for. Those who fail to learn lessons of history, to throw another quote out there, are doomed to repeat it, apparently. Exactly, yep. Um, it's, a, it's an important one. But let's, let's move on a little bit, only a little bit. The other big news, of course, and we'll come back to this actually later on a company level, but COP26 is all over the joint. And I said to you before we recorded, I may have even said last week or week before, I, I don't want to turn to the climate change podcast because we're not that, and I understand there are people with different views who care and don't care or, or don't want to talk about it, don't want to talk about it, and that's fine. You know, it is what it is. Um, we'll do the podcast that we think is the right podcast, and hopefully the one most people enjoy. But I understand that different people have different views and the more polarising topics tend to elicit some more extreme views from our wonderful listeners. So we don't want to insult or offend anybody. By the same You're, you're nicer mate. than me, mate. I, I'm going to go out. I'm, 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 I'm happy, I'm happy to insult, I'm happy to insult flat earthers and I'm just as happy to insult people who deny overwhelming um, scientific evidence. So you can be nice about it, okay. but I'm not. Uh, I, I think it's gotten to a point where there's too much at stake to, to worry about uh, people's feelings at, at this point. You know, it's, page, you're entitled... <laughs> You're entitled to an opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. So that's that's all I'll say. 
I completely agree with all of that, by the way, mate. I'm just saying we don't want to, we don't want to bang on about it, you know, separate to the, the general kind of core of investing. And that's kind of why I wanted to mention it today because there has been so much in the papers. Um, not we have to do what's in the papers necessarily. We can do other things, but um, it just is so overwhelmingly uh, prevalent and mm. increasingly obvious that there are there are so many changes afoot. And... <laughs> See, see, we're not going to offend anybody. I'll offend some more people. Um, our government is doing nothing about it in any meaningful way. And you have people like the Business Council of Australia, Twiggy Forest, BP, BHP, some BP, BHP, um, all making their own changes, right? And it's kind of like, you know, for, when, when people pretend that capitalism is the problem but, but, and government is the solution, I'm like, eh, it depends which capitalism, it depends which government. Because, you know, right now, <laughs> um, the, the people dragging their feet are, 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 are relatively few but unfortunately relatively... Um, uh, relatively influential in, in the well, halls of power in Canberra. I actually don't feel, as just to your first part, I don't actually mm. feel as though we're going off topic at all. I mean, this is has massive implications for yep. the economy, business, investing. So it's it's you can't you can't really go about uh, investing yeah. in this day and age without having some lens on on what all of this means and how it's going to right. impact things. So I, I think it's I think it's absolutely on point. We have to talk well, about it. And it was kind of the, well, it was kind of the reason I mentioned it was it was because of the BCA, the Business Council of Australia, actually coming out and saying, "Can we please have a price on carbon?" Yes. And it's again, you know, I did say, I did say, I think it was last week. You know, we have to invest for the world we're going to live in, not the world you want to be living in. Mm. And whether that's the actual climate, or frankly, the regulatory rules, or the export implications, for example, if if Australia says, "Yeah, no one doing nothing," and, and the EU and US say, "That's cool," but we've got a carbon tax, uh, effectively a border tax, and then you send us if you don't do something yourselves. Mm. It, it is it is pointless to pretend this is not happening and is not going to change things. And mm. you don't have to necessarily predict all of the detail. But stick your head in the sand and saying, I'm going to pretend nothing's going to change and hope it's all fine from there. I had someone say to me on, I think it was Twitter, um, effectively something like, hey, the rest of the world's still using our coal. They're going to use coal for years. Nothing's going to change by coal companies. And I get that. I get that general approach. Mm -hmm. But if you also take the view that, okay, what if, and we don't know the answer to this, but what if you end up with a circumstance where there is a meaningful tax put on coal extraction here? or export to there, mm-hmm. um, how does it change the dynamics of the profitability the company might invest in? Even if coal demand remains strong, the profitability itself may change simply because the price curve changes because you throw some tax on top of that mm-hmm. or you throw some tariffs or, or other things other things actually happen to actually influence how likely that is to happen. I just I don't think you can assume no change, I guess is my, my broadest point. And I said, when the, whenever the business council is saying, please, will you, will you tax us? Now they're not doing it because they want necessarily to pay more tax. Hopefully there are some people that do it for the right reasons. The rest of them are saying, look, we just we think this is happening anyway. We'd like to know so we can get on with it. You know, give totally. us some certainty. Let us plan. Let us organise this stuff. Um, and yeah, as I said, the BCA aren't exactly the, the you know the screaming left wing greenies who are who are trying to you know cut down business to save the planet. They're kind of saying, look, we want to run our businesses, and would you help us, please? Um, well, it's, it's about it's, it's about being yeah. pragmatic. It's not yeah. about it's not ideological at all. It's, right, it exactly. is absolutely absolute pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's the other thing: it's kind of like it's all. It's actually got re- re- very little to do with what government does because it's the world's going that way anyway. This is economic exactly. forces that are pushing it that way. So you can you can say, oh, the mm-hmm. government should or shouldn't, and, and they should <laughs> in a lot of cases <laughs> do a lot of things because they yeah, just get yeah, – if yeah. you're not going to help, get the hell out of the way. Um, mm. But but just the economics alone in a lot of these things, when, when power generation just becomes so much more cheaper um, by using renewables and other and – other, the whole all of that kind of stuff, it's just like people are going to do it because it just makes more economic sense. Um, you know, it, it's 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 just silly to deny the obvious. It's it's like it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but I do remember again speaking of a gentleman of a certain age that <laughs> when we were going through the dot com, um, <laughs> yeah, boom, that's right. You know, there was a lot of old world sort of uh, uh, companies yep. there, sort of you know, laughing at how ridiculous mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff was. And what did they do? They were just they were they were whistling as they walked past the graveyard, in in, <laughs> in, in, in the sense that it was just sort of like, oh, this internet yeah. thing and rah rah rah. And yeah. look at what happened. It just destroyed a yeah. variety of different industries and business models. Yeah. Um, and it's like you say, it's like well, you can you can live in the world that as it is, mm-hmm. all the way that mm-hmm. you that you. Um, Wish it were, and 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 because of that complacency, billions were lost for for shareholders and 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 from people who were in prime positions. 
to really take advantage of this. Like the old brick and mortar retail giants mm-hmm. of old were the prime yeah. position to to build yeah. the infrastructure and and to 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 transition across to online. But they didn't because they thought, oh, it's it's not. There's not much to it. Same with the newspapers. Same, mm-hmm. same with um, uh, uh, TVs and uh, the whole the whole media landscape. It's just that the peop- the, the the big players today were the disruptors. They weren't the incumbents, and the incumbents should have should have been the ones that took full advantage of that. So, you know, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that, mate, because that's that that. So, I, I've been thinking a lot. I've been talking to some different people on on the other podcasts and other places, and. There's a there's a heuristic in my head that I'm trying to kind of just refine a little bit better. It's not it's not not you know groundbreaking, but there's that kind of you know there's, there's the old quote of you know was it first they mock you then they laugh at you then they believe oh, you. Oh Gandhi, that, yeah, I love that. Is, right, mm. um, I'm sure I butchered that. But when you're a, when you're a disruptor, it's really really stupidly hard, right? Mm. If you're trying to beat the incumbent, it is stupidly hard. Nobody knows you. You've got no money. You may have a product, you may not. You're trying to find staff. You're trying to skill up. You're trying to get scale. Mm. Meanwhile, the big guy is the elephant running around who can just step on you and you're gone, right? You're just completely gone. And there's mm. no, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, it's just life, right? And that's why incumbents tend to win over time and do really well, make a fortune for their shareholders because incumbency has massive, massive benefits. Mm. And then there's a tipping point. And the idea of a tipping point is not new, of course. Gladwell's done it a lot and people have talked about it for years. But that idea of once you go from that small, troubled, uh, you know, tiny probability of success germ of an idea. Mm. And you get to a point where you're like, actually, hang on, there's something here. And then all of those downsides of innovation and disruption become massive, massive, massive um, advantages. I, I think of like Aussie Broadband, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's got no right to be where it is now. No. It's a 3 or 5% market share. It's in a... They're all reselling exactly the same thing. Mm. Telstra is the dominant player. There's Optus. There's the TPG Vodafone joint venture, or, or sorry, uh, merger. Um, these are businesses that, and they sell the same thing. They're, they're, there is absolutely zero reason why someone like an Aussie Broadband should have been allowed to get to any scale, let, let alone continue to grow at massively compounded rates. And so they had to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle to get scale, to get size, to get people to buy into the idea. Now they're at a certain size. And now they've got all the tailwinds in the world, right? Because they're mm-hmm. now big enough, they can wash their own face, to use the horrible jargon that we use in the industry. It can, it's basically paying its own way. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's got brand new systems, brand new people, a wonderful culture, a brand people love. Mm-hmm. People rave about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it goes from this, you know, <laughs> just a germ of an idea. And now all the things that were made, made it difficult, like how do you start a new business from scratch? How do you build a company culture? How do you organise your systems so they work? Then you get to a point where it's like, actually, now this has become a massive, massive, massive opportunity. Mm. And the incumbents now, well, now what do we do? We, we're, not, we're not cheaper and we're not more nimble and we haven't got better people and we haven't got a better culture and we haven't got better systems. And, and all of a sudden now Telstra and Optus and TPG start losing customers by the bucket load. Yeah. I'm a Telstra shareholder, by the way, um, for complicated reasons I won't go into. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you know that's, that's where you end up. And I think, you know, we talk about disruption and you mentioned with climate change and the internet and other things, that is absolutely going to be the case, right? For, mm. for the longest time, these guys struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. And often you're going to blow past the business and we'll look back in X years time and go, well, this feels normal now, but it wasn't that many five, seven, 10 years ago. Yeah. Where these guys felt like maybe they live, maybe they die. Maybe, you know, maybe they work, maybe they don't. Mm. That's coming, isn't it? Yep, it absolutely, and it's 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 got to be seen as an opportunity. There are fortunes are going to be made in this yep. clean energy space. Yep. Um, fortunes are going to be made in, in in more efficient, friendlier business models. Like it just mm-hmm. it is going to go that way. And we can argue about the timing and the exact magnitude and all of this kind of stuff. But it's kind mm-hmm. of it's happening. And, and maybe you can do while for a, do okay for a while. But you're sailing into the wind there. And it's just mm-hmm. it is it is absolute imprudence. For any CEO to sort of deny yeah. that kind of stuff and just to to, to yeah. continue along, because they they will they will destroy shareholder wealth. Um, mm. And unfortunately, a lot of this stuff I feel gets informed by partisan politics or ideologies <laughs> and all these other no. kinds of things. And it's just, it's just really really yeah. really yeah. dumb. And you can't necessarily influence it, but you can avoid putting your money in in these kinds of places. And and I think. It, it, Again, these guys aren't, you know, to use that horrible phrase, those tree-hugging hippies. They're just very sensible people. That's right. Say, this is the BCA, right? This is, this is the yeah. business establishment. Speaking of incumbents, this is the business establishment. Yeah. 
flying the flag and saying, guys, we've got to change. Like, this is not going to work. Mm. We, are, we, you know, we need this to, to be part. You know, they, they want to be, if not necessarily innovators and disruptors, they want to basically, they, they, can, they can sniff the wind, right? They don't, they don't wish where the wind's blowing. They want to go that way because that's where it's going. And being held back from that, um, it, it just it makes makes no sense. It's And again, I look at, you know, it, I think there's in, there are business implications. There are obviously environmental implications. There are world implications. Um, but there are definitely investing implications as well. And just having a thought about that, I am mindful probably for another conversation too, mate, but there are, you know, for, for all of the internet, for everything the internet did, and to your point about, you know, the internet didn't make a whole lot of money for many people. Mm. Using the technology that existed made a whole yeah. lot of money for a whole lot of people, oh, right? There's and a so, platform, I yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to split hairs there necessarily, but you didn't necessarily need to invest in the internet, whatever that the internet was. It was switches and routers and wires and and some sort of, you know, protocol. And I, that's about as far as my tech knowledge goes. Uh, but, you know, it was the retailer who said, hey, I can use the internet. It was the video, you know, by mail mob who said, hey, what if we could send these files over the internet? You know, mm. it becomes a mechanism. It becomes a, and that's, that's my other, I guess, my other thought. And if you look at businesses that are able to capitalize on, these sorts of changes. That's the other way to look at it, right? So yes, I don't want to be in the coal business right now because the future is really murky. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe it's fine, but the risk level is just through the roof. Oh, yeah. And so you can grit your teeth and, and say, well, gee, I hope, I hope, or I wish, I wish, or I want, I want. But that's not, as you would say, an investment strategy. Hope is not an investment strategy. Another, nope. another Andrew Page special. <laughs> um, that is mine. Putting, I'll claim that it, one. Is it? There you go. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. So, it's, yeah, hope is not an investment strategy. So, you've got to be able to have some sense of how likely do I think this is and why do I think it's likely, not based on what I wish was true, but what's going to happen. But also, as I said, who's going to make the money from that? And while you say, fortunately, we made a renewable energy, there may well be. Or, by the way, it might be the same as airlines where, you know, the, the boom is on, people stop using steamships. And you could have been in the steamship business and said, no, people always use steamships because they're great. Look how wonderful they are. And you're like, well, no, they'll probably fly because it takes like, a, you know, a day rather than a six-week journey from London to Australia. Yeah, but they're ships. People love them. They always love going on cruises. Look at the numbers. Hmm. Um, you know, that change was coming regardless. Right now, not a lot of money was made by airlines. So that's the other thing is I, just because the trend is on, I wouldn't personally be rushing to renewables for its own sake as an investment idea um, because it may well be they're just – that they are the new version of, of the old thing, which doesn't make any money either. Uh, or maybe there is a fortune to be made. But either way, the companies that actually embrace it and are able to do it, imagine effectively zero cost energy production in a marginal cost sense from a wind turbine or from solar power. Mm. Imagine what you can do with that energy. If you're, uh, I, I, I have half a suspicion, mate, that things like aluminium will become stupidly cheap once we work out how to harness excess energy. Mm. Over oh, yeah. for short periods of time. You know, like it's, they, they say aluminium is effectively solid energy, right? Cause it takes, it's the, main, the major ingredient in, in creating aluminium is energy. Very intensive. If, yeah. you can, if you can find a way to do that only between the hours of 9.30 and 2.30 for effectively zero cost because the grid's trying to get rid of excess solar, for example, mm. you know, then hang, why is that, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to say aluminium is getting cheaper. I don't know the industry well enough, but think about those businesses that will benefit from this change and those that will suffer from the change if they're not part of that transition because that's mm. another way to think about the, the change. Yes, 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 and yes. Um, and and, and this, let's just get back to politics for a second. This is what was so ridiculous oh, about <laughs> about Morrison's plan. Uh, because, oh, no, here we go. Well, there was, no pl- there was no specifics in that. And it was no, you know, it's sort of, again, it's just like, okay, you've sort of notionally signed up to this to this target. But with yeah. it's so, you know, it was, it was a PowerPoint slide. You know, like, God, how long have you had to think and plan about this? And then to turn around and say, and then turn around and say, actually, we can do all of this without losing jobs and out raising taxes, and it's going to be no one's going to be worse off. It's like, well, wait a second. Yeah. That's the case. Why have you been dragging your heels for all of this mm. time? You, can, mm. you know, one, I think that's ridiculous. But but mm. it, it's 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 just so 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 silly. Plus plus they're using a whole bunch of accounting gimmicks to sort of get there, and it's just everyone sees through it. Everyone except those that that are just you know the blind loyal followers. I think sees internationally that's being seen as as the case, and it's going to divert a lot of foreign investment away from Australia. It's, it's going to have all kinds of implications. It's, it's just, it's really, really, really reckless. It's, it's, mm. it's silly. And, and, and as I say, what more to the point here, we are missing such an opportunity. What does Australia have plenty of? <laughs> Sunshine and space. And, you know, we, we really could be the Saudi Arabia <laughs> of renewables. You know, we could, we could be exporting green hydrogen, all this other kind of stuff, mm. which actually mm. Twiggy's actually um, making some moves on that Can front. Get to that. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's just like, think of it not as a cost, think of it as an opportunity, as an investment. So I, Mike Kennan Brooks, uh, one of the founders of Atlassian, who's quite vocal mm. on Twitter, about climate change. He was backing some project that was basically saying, I think it was 
I'm going to get the figure wrong, but something like for $15 billion, we could electrify every house in Australia if the government was to put $15 billion towards that. Right. And and one that would have in- incredible benefits to the environment, but mm. more so it would actually save households like five, $6,000 a year. So it's like, again, again, economically, the argument is really, really strong. Mm. And then you could look at that as the government might and go, oh, $15 billion, that's a lot, until you realise that, wait a second, you just spent $80 billion on JobKeeper, you know? Mm. You just mm. spent an unknown disclosed hundreds of <laughs> yeah. mil- billions of dollars on, on some nuclear submarines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like they're, they're, the money is there and, mm. and this is really small money in the grand scheme. When you look at, look at the federal bu- budget and what is spent... Mm. And this isn't just an outright cost. As I say, that's a really bad word. It's, it's, a, it's an investment in, yes, in, in future savings. So it's just sort of for the sake of a few small vested interests. And, and I, I, I really get it too for the it, – it's easy for, to say as someone who's not directly involved in this industry because if that all gets wiped out, my job is, is still fine. Um, so I, I, I think it, you, you can be a bit um, insensitive about this mm, if it's not mm. directly related to you. But I, I care deeply for all of those people and everyone's job. But I would say, actually, economically, it's probably best to give everyone a million-dollar redundancy check who works in that space. And you show me a coal miner who's going to who's going <laughs> to protest. We say what? You know, I'm going to get here's a million dollars. Don't come back. I'm okay. going to. Yeah, like, we need to. We live in a society, you know, yeah, and, and the yeah. big structural changes. And no, it was some some a person who works in news um, in Newcastle in this industry mm-hmm. who worked hard and honestly their whole life, and now now things are changing against them. I, I'm not saying throw them on the scrap heap, but I'm actually saying well, we, we could we could retrain. We can give big uh, incentives, uh, re- redundancies. All of this, I'm happy as a taxpayer to help fund all of that kind of stuff because yeah. yeah, it's going to cost yeah. a lot of money, but yeah. it's also going to lead to to, to great savings and, and mm-hmm. we we'll able to retrain, retool all of this other kind of stuff. You've just and again, it's happening anyway. So the exact mm-hmm. wrong message to be sending to those people is, hey, we're going to look after you because you know what? There's nothing you can do. It's going. It's again, maybe it's 10, 20 years away. It's it, your job is gone. So now it's just a matter of how we manage that, and we can we can tell you all these yeah. comforting yeah. lies. And pretend that everything's going to be okay, or we can help you with this transition as we should, and make sure that you're looked after, and and the country and and world as a whole. This is existential stuff, you know. I don't think that's too strong a word. And so these guys, again, I'm I'm, I like to see myself as a fence sitter. I feel as though I'm I'm bipartisan, but on on this topic, just woeful, disgraceful, embarrassing. Um, Vote them out. (laughs) I'm going to say it. (laughs) Vote them out. Oh dear. I <laughs> I'm not sure to go from there. Um, I will add only one that. thought. No, like, so I'll add. I'll add a. I, I think yeah, uh, yeah. I I will modify that slightly, which is to say, you may be able to avoid avoid voting them out if we can convince them they should change their policies. So that gets to you know the policy versus the parliament and the government, and that's mm. a that's a different question in my mind. Not that I'm particularly a fan of the current uh, government, but you know. I, I don't really give a stuff whether they get voted out or they change their minds. I like we just want we need action on climate change, right? That's the point. So for mine, that's it. I will say though, I, I tweeted only this morning, actually, man. I wasn't going to mention this in this context, but it's kind of appropriate. I said a reminder that in almost all of the rest of the world, climate change is not a party political issue. No, it's and not. I, and th- these are words are a little bit stronger than I probably intended. It is the barely concealed intransigence of part of our politics. Read, read the current government that makes it so here in Australia, not the science or the calls for action or anything else. And it just, it's just a reminder that, you know, like if you, if Boris Johnson is one of the guys saying, hey, Scott, could you kind of do something down there? That'd be really nice. And this is not, this is not left-wing ranty Boris Johnson. This is, you know, this is Tory conservative Boris Johnson. He's the one saying, gosh, you've got to, mm-hmm. like, seriously, what are you doing, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's a bit that frustrates me more than anything slash most. Um, which is just that very idea of, hey, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a party political problem. That's the point. Um, it, it, you know, it, it can be, you know, in the UK, both parties say, hey, we need to determine climate change. Okay, let's do it. It's, mm. it's a non-issue. They're both going to do something about it. That's, that's all yeah. it needs to happen. Um, yeah. the, the, lack of, the lack of action by, by a current government is, is annoying. And, you know, I, it's, there is, you know, and there'll be listeners here who are saying, well, they're right and wrong for whatever reason. It tends to be the party loyalties that drive that decision stuff rather than anything else. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, um, ANZ. Mm. Did you see the numbers this morning? Profit up 70% and, that wasn't enough, beat estimates. 
This is a bank that's flying, mate. If that sort of growth, they put zero to shame. They put Salesforce to shame. They put Google to shame. I don't know many other businesses growing profit at 70%. So it's a screaming buy, right? Uh-huh. Well, there's, there's, there's profit and there's other profit. I mean, over the period, there was no mortgage growth. And you know, so that's a huge driver of growth for the Who bank. Who mortgage growth? 70% profit, mate. Why are you trying to pick holes in this thing? Well, 70%. There's these things called provisions, which are just little uh, different buckets where you, where you put your money. And when things are looking really scary in COVID, they said, oh, Lordy, <laughs> this is going to go really bad. A whole bunch of people are going to default on their loans. We're going to suffer all of these losses. Very, very sensible things to think given even the uncertainty at the time. So they put a whole bunch of money aside to, to, um, uh, to allow for that. And then it's, it turns out we kind of seem to have dodged a massive bullet there. So now that you, 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 you pick up that money from that bucket and you put it back in the other bucket. And so that's, that's where it's come from. It's, it's come from the reversal of provisions. So tell me more about that because how do you reverse a provision? If you make the provision for the bad debt, then that's kind of done. Why does reversing a provision lead to a 70% growth in profit? Well, you know, because you're, you're, when, when that provision is first booked, it, mm. it, is, it is taken as an expense. It's just not an expense that's been incurred now. It's an expense that we expect in the future. Nevertheless, it's an expense. And so when you reverse that, it, it goes the other way, right? So you're, you're comp- this 65% compares to a period where this expense was, was put onto the books. And mm. now we're taking that expense away. So that's, that's how you get it, right? Yeah. So it's negative expense, if you like, which gets into the accounting arcanery. We don't need to go in there too deeply. But yeah, Andrew's exactly right, of course. You simply just say, well, hang on. Last year we said, let's expense a billion dollars. Just I'll pick a number. Let's expense a billion dollars for the bad debts we expect to come down in the future. And so that hurts your profit, right? Because it's an expense. It says, okay, well, I'm making a million a billion dollars less than I otherwise would. Mm. It's an expense. When you then go back and go, oh, you know that money? Yeah, it was down the back of the lounge. We found it again. You've got to put that back on the financial statement somehow because mm. you're effectively saying we don't need that money anymore. This is, this is spectacularly great news, by the way, for everybody. It means that the economy didn't go as badly. People didn't lose their jobs. People didn't lose their houses. I mean, some people did, but not as many people did. This is the point, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a fact that things weren't as bad as it could have been, and that's awesome. And so you say, great, that's done. But you've got to put that money somewhere. And as you say, mate, it goes in a negative expense. So you put a, a minus expense, which is not exactly sales or revenue because it's still on the expense line, but you basically reverse that. Also, that pops up. And you make a billion dollars more than you would have. Mm. And as you say, not only that, but then it compares to last year when you took that expense. So you kind of you win twice, right? Not only do you get the money back as a positive number, but you're then comparing it against a period where it was a negative number. So the growth looks even doubly as good as it would if this was in a, in a normal period. So it's a nice... And the other thing I really actually want to say very clearly, it's exactly what they should have done. It's exactly the appropriate approach. So oh, there's yeah. no chicanery here. There is no, there's no, no one's fiddling the books. No one's screwing around. No one's doing the wrong thing. This is entirely, entirely, entirely appropriate. It's exactly what they should do. Yes. Um, oh, okay. You're no, 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 you're right. No, no, no. It's not. Okay. That, it, it, but it, it's how you convey the message, though, right? So was, oh, that, yeah, totally. was that appropriate to do? Yes. Do you do a massive victory lap and say, look <laughs> how fantastic? The, and then they haven't done this. But, you know, the way that this will yeah, potentially yeah, yeah. get reported is, yep. wow, the major banks and look at this. And that. well, no, no, no. It's, you know, there's, there's subtlety yeah, as always. There's subtlety fair and enough. context in, in, in that. <laughs> One of the good things I think for banks is mm-hmm. that um, a great way for, for, Really cutting through, you know, cash is, what do they say? Profit is, is vanity, cash flow is sort of sanity. Sanity, yep. Um, is that, look at the dividends, right? Like that's, at the end of the day, someone's, <laughs> the, the bank is going to have to put actual cash into shareholders' bank accounts. Um, yeah, right. And that, will, that is a much more truer reflection of, of what's going on. And so last year they paid out 60 cents. That was a big drop. And that was, again, the right thing to do. You wanted to preserve capital with, you know, geez, why pay out all this money when we're potentially facing billions and billions in losses? That was right. But they've, they've, so for the year it's going to be $1.42, I believe, um, which which is interesting, but that compares to a dollar sixty in twenty nineteen, dollar sixty in twenty eighteen, dollar sixty in twenty seventeen, dollar sixty in in twenty sixteen, and that to me is a very interesting kind of series of numbers there, because again, outside of the accounting sort of treatment there, when you look at at frankly a lot of the banks, that the amount that they've returned to shareholders hasn't mm. been increasing. <laughs> and okay, let's treat let's treat twenty twenty as an anomaly as we as we probably should, but even looking through that. There's no growth there, is there? No, though I'm going to suggest perhaps you might be a little bit jaundiced about banks. <laughs> can, I, can I suggest that uh, as, as a mate? 
Because I actually, I completely agree with you. I think, and this is where you've got to, not you personally, but this is where people, it's, it's really important to think about the way we deal with historical numbers, right? Because on one hand, you say, you know, does, well, back to the point about extrapolation, does the past indicate the future? If your argument is, look, they spent four years doing nothing, they're not going to do nothing because nothing else is changing, therefore expect the same, therefore it's worth whatever it's worth based on that. I think that's mm. absolutely valid. The other thing I would say, though, is we say all the time, you can't, you don't get yesterday's dividend, you don't get last year's dividend today. Mm-hmm. Last year's profit growth doesn't matter today. All that matters is if you buy the shares from here, mm-hmm. what is likely to happen, right? So I, I, I absolutely, I, I don't actually disagree with you in terms of the performance and it's worth pointing that out to counter the people who would say, but these things always make money. Look how great they have been. You know, the, the people who will use the historical argument to say, this is why you should own the banks. You're absolutely entitled to say, well, okay, but look at this history and those those things don't necessarily match your your recollections. <laughs> you know, the grow-tinted glasses of how good banks have been. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. But I do, and I'm not, I'm not a massive bank fan, by the way. I'm not saying go and buy them at all. Um, but I would say just, just outright, if it's one of those questions where you've kind of got to go back and just say, Yes, but, or yes and, mm. um, you know, what does the future look like? Because it, it's all that matters, right? You, you're not buying, you might be buying last year's sentiment. You might be buying shares of people who love or hate the business you're buying. And that's a great opportunity sometimes, right? If, mm. if you know, I, there's, there's single digit PE retailers right now because mm. people mm. hate retail, mm. right? And, and if you can grab that and say, well, okay, they're annoyed and they're, they're negative because of X, Y, Z, I can take advantage of that. That's fine. Uh, I, just, I just wouldn't necessarily say, look, they haven't grown in the last four years, therefore, it's not a good investment. I think it's. I'm not. And you, I, I, you, I, you agree. Yeah, and no, that's a fair point. I'm not saying they're not a good investment because of that, but I just, I, I do think it sort of yeah. shows you that the, these, bi- but these are phenomenal business. They'll be around for a, for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, very, yeah. very. Uh, well, we were talking about incumbents before and all the, the power yeah. and advantage yeah. that, that that comes with that. Mm-hmm. But they haven't been this money-making machine for shareholders that a lot of people, uh, I think, that's assume be- because true. from the late '90s through, you know, to the, the first part of the, the, the decade, of mm-hmm. the century. I mean, they were just incredible, incredible investments. Yeah. But, you know, I've got a chart here of ANZ. It's basically lower than it was in 2013, 2014, 2015. Share, share yeah. price broadly have just gone sideways since then. Dividends Correct. have gone sideways. And this is in an environment of very rapidly rising house prices. Um, so it's that's kind it of- I'm surprised about. Can I say, mate, yeah. that's, I honestly, I've always taken the view of, and, I'll, you know, my view was, has been the last couple of years, speaking of history, I thought the bank profits would continue to grow. Now, again, COVID notwithstanding, but bank profits would continue to grow because house prices are going up. Mm. But when the house price growth stops, then you would expect the bank profit growth to stop. Mm. But they've kind of, that, that hasn't been true. I've been too optimistic on that because even with record-ish house price growth over the last couple of years, we haven't seen bank profits grow anywhere near that sort of number. Yeah, and it's kind of like if you're not, you're not, you know, cashing in over that period. Yeah, that's right. You know, what are you going just, to? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like how is it? So again, it's not like I don't. I often get pulled up on this, saying, "Oh, you're wrong to hate this or hate that investment." I don't hate them. I just, mm. I just think, is this the, is this, you know, one of the top twenty investments I could make? Yeah, no, is, is, right, is I've, right. I've, people sort of looking at this through rose-colored glass? And I'm going to be particularly, I'm call out the the boomers here because yeah. I think yeah. they have had a phenomenal. All, all they the have, boomers. We're going to offend all the boomers plus all the liberal voters. So. We, <laughs> well, well, welcome, welcome, Labor Party Millennials. Thank you for listening to the Motley Fool Money podcast. <laughs> oh, look, I, I, I it, it, just that they have people make a lot of emotional decisions when it comes to investing, and we right, are yeah. very much influenced by our past experience. Yep. So, yep. people who have bought shares, you know, they've held them for decades. They've obviously still done really well out of them, and that. Mm-hmm. And they and mm-hmm. people will make this. They say it at the banks all the time. Oh, it doesn't really matter because I only bought it at this price. And it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's just fuzzy thinking to, to my mind, and yep. I think. Absolutely. I, for me, the time to buy the banks is when we have the next major re- recession or something like that because they will be absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. decimated in terms of their share price and their earnings and the rest of it, but they'll still be around. Mm-hmm. That's, the time to, that's the time to buy a bank. People forget that banks operate in a highly cyclical industry. We just haven't had a cycle in Australia. I mean, again, <laughs> taking COVID away, we, hadn't had a re- we haven't had a recession for decades. Um, and, and, and we've had all these sort of structural tailwinds right, that have right, sort of right, made that. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just mindful, again, yeah. looking at the historical experience, looking at the international experience, that mm-hmm. banks banks can be highly cyclical companies. And we've had fairly benign, even attractive environments where it actually hasn't, you haven't done that well. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or whatever, but whenever it does, you'll, you'll yeah. see, you always see those, those, those two factors. One, earnings fall, and two, the multiple on those earnings that the market is prepared to pay is false. So you get this leveraged contraction. 
and can be pretty brutal. But that's when things are really exciting, you know. It's sort of like at a point now, what am I looking at here? I'm looking at a business that is very solid and even long, long, long term, I can probably sort of say, well, average, it might grow sort of low, mid-single digit kind of rates. It's like it's not that attractive for something that's what ANZ is giving me 3.5% dividend at this point in time. It's sort of like yeah. best case scenario, I sort of make maybe total shareholder return 5, 6, 7%. Not, not mm-hmm. awful, by the way. Mm-hmm. But but on the flip side of that, if something does go wrong, my, my potential downside could could be rather brutal. So it's again, it's it's that unattractive asymmetry that is that is that is apparent with these guys. That hence hence my my, my I don't see them as appealing. That'll change. That'll change as the prices change. But at right now, yeah, there's, there's there's far more attractive things. Plus, there's also a bit of dis- we talked about disruption before as well. I'm not mm. entirely convinced that these guys, again, you know, as the incumbents aren't perhaps being. Uh, a little bit too sanguine about some of this fintech disruption and DeFi, as it's called. And you know, it's easy to get really silly on that kind of stuff. But I, I think there is genuinely something there and there is going to be some challenges. I think some of the banks like CB are actually embracing some of this stuff um, and making some moves. But I, 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 I would be worried if they weren't at least taking some of these threats seriously because, again, mm-hmm. history shows that when you tend to ignore these big things, you end up suffering long term. <laughs> Oh man, there's so I I don't know a lot of cans a, opened there. Oh man, yeah, so many cans. Um, <coughs> I probably I think I'll probably I think I'll probably leave it. We might, we might come back to to finance disruption. I think it's a whole different. It's a massive area. Yeah. DeFi is that decentralized finance? Mm-hmm. By the way, yeah, that's okay. I, cool. I didn't want to use the word crypto, but yeah, it's thank you. It's I was I wasn't sure that. whether you were going Delphi as an oracle, we're going HiFi as a site. <laughs> DeFi was new to me, but I, I kind of worked it out. Um, yes, crypto. Let's uh, let's move on a little bit, not too far from there, actually, mate. Because oh, and so quickly, I do want to come back to finance disruption because it's a fascinating area. Yeah, it is. Um, it's also very quickly, sorry, not about finance disruption, but the back, the, the downside of disruption or the, or the other side of that is the challenge for incumbents is if you try and respond to every single would-be competitor, you'd go broke trying to spread yourself that thinly. And I think that's the other, like I'm not, I'm mm. not that I deserve our sympathy, but if you're an incumbent, I used to work for Heinz, the food company. So speaking of old, old businesses, right? Um, every time someone went into the baby food category, it's like, what do you do? Yeah, do, you know, and every time someone is different, do you do you forever spend your life trying to fight them, or do you do your own thing and try and do it as well as you can? And mm-hmm. and that's a really challenging one, right? So, um, Laserdisc and Blu-ray DVD and high-definition DVD and VHS and Betamax. So, you know, which of those which of those do you chase? Which ones do you leave alone? How do you have that conversation? Because you tie yourself in knots trying to beat every single possible would-be disruptor. Every time someone announces the this new thing, um, and I think you know, I, I again, I don't. I don't necessarily deserve my sympathy because the bank's are doing fine and other incumbents are doing fine, but there is just that question of like, where do you draw the line between, um, uh, you know, trying to trying to look over your shoulder the whole time, mm. but also running your own race? It's a it's a really difficult one. I think Mate, I, I, I think I just wish very quickly on that. I think yeah, one of the one of the great advantages you have as the incumbent with very deep pockets and strong mm. balance sheets and all the rest of it is that you don't have to be the innovator. And this is what Google has been so yeah. good at is they just and, and you, you can't back every uh, emerging technology and every you know angel mm-hmm. invest in every sort of startup because you're going to go mm-hmm. potentially broke very quickly there. <laughs> but once something has gotten a bit of traction, um, you, you can buy them out. So Square just bought Afterpay, right? Like Square is yeah, in a wonderful yeah. position to start up their own buy now, pay later platform. Right, right. I mean, right. the technology is not. I mean, you know, here I'm oversimplifying, but it's not that hard, right? It, it's as a concept. <laughs> you know, I can do it. To How imp- hard could it be? Exactly. Implement, particularly yep. when you're, you know, Jack Dorsey founded tech yeah. Silicon Valley giant. You know, that, they, they yeah, can do it, yeah. but they didn't, um, and yep, it's just yep. easier to buy. Uh, Google bought YouTube. What a phenomenal investment mm-hmm. that was. Mm-hmm. You know, even though at the time everyone sort of laughed at like, how many billions are you selling these? <laughs> That's video? right. Do you know? That's so true, isn't and it? And so if I was if if I was so one of these big true. incumbents, I think what I would be doing is I would just I would just be keeping a very close eye on things, yeah, and not necessarily so back everything. But once something has legitimate traction, mm-hmm. buy them out and pay up yeah. for it. Pay up for it massively because it's going to be far cheaper than once once that sort of cat's out of the bag. Than trying to oh scramble and and develop <laughs> your own thing and just, it just especially with these things they have very strong sort of network effects and. They, yeah. they they can just run away really quickly, and it doesn't it doesn't matter what you do after that point. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the advantage that they should have, and I think that's what to answer your question. What do you do? I think that's what you do is is you you are prepared to to uh, recognize these these things when when there's legitimate yeah. traction, and you buy them out. 
Can you do it all though? I, I'm mindful of News Corp buying MySpace. Yeah, I was going to mention MySpace. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it's an easy whipping boy, right? But uh, I get like, uh, as it there's always exceptions problems to have. Well, but I guess I'm wondering how many social networks do you buy before you stop? Mm. So you buy MySpace and you buy Schoolfriends.com and you buy, you know, mm. whatever else was out there, and maybe you buy Facebook, maybe you don't, but. Like, it's, it's a difficult one to try and work out how much to pay for which businesses when. Remember, even at IPO, Facebook was being touted as being, you know, stupidly overvalued and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And again, you look forward and go, yeah, I I yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> I, I, yeah, look, I, I said, look, someone else's problem, not my problem. It's not, not a big deal, but worth worth coming back to, Max. I like I like the idea. It's, and I think you and I both, are, you're probably a more disruptive investor than I am. Uh, but the idea of finding growth companies, you generally have to be looking at disruptive businesses for the most part in some form. Not necessarily, yeah. you know, throw the toys out of the cot, invent some secret formula that does something, you know, but doing something differently, mm. disrupting the status quo, finding a better way. The Aussie broadbands of the world, again, MBN reselling, hardly high-tech in terms of, you know, I mean, obviously a high-tech business, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not reinventing the wheel, right? It's not Tesla. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, the disruption there is really important and that's where they make a lot of money doing that really well. And that's where the big returns come from. They come from finding companies when they're relatively small because, you know, you buy Telstra now, but that's probably the race has probably been run, right? You buy the disruptor to Telstra or the disruptor potentially to the banks and maybe we're talking about Afterpay. Um, plenty of others, that, you know, that that is the story. I'll give you another example is Temple and Webstar, which a yes. lot of investors will be familiar with. They're the online yes. furniture retailer. Absolutely mm-hmm. just killing it. I mean, their profit's yeah. growing r- ridiculously fast. They got, a, they got a bit of a boost from COVID and the rest of it, but there's, yeah. there's something that's legitimately there. The online furniture market is only 10% of the overall market. There is a mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. way to run there. <laughs> Jerry Harvey, just to pick on one of my favourite whipping boys, is, <laughs> is famous for sort of saying that, you know, online's... They, they, the Harvey Norman just really don't put any effort effort into it that at all yeah yeah and and that's the opportunity um but maybe maybe given what's happened there they should be casting the ruler i don't know i mean i haven't done the numbers here but but i i, I do think yeah. that, that yeah. jerry is uh, he's a very smart retailer despite my my reservations against the man personally <laughs> and and he's done very well and there's there's probably a pretty good investment case yeah. to be had there but i do i it does something that does it it doesn't sit comfortably with me when I hear someone in this very dominant position. Harvey Norman owns about a quarter of the retail market um, mm, in, in mm. Australia. Just massive, mm. massive, massive force, a force of nature <laughs> in that space. Mm. But then to sort of say, no, nah, we're not going to do with the internet or we're not going to focus on it, um, mm. just seems to me like, well, that, I don't know if that's going to age well and if history will look kindly on that, that strategic focus. I, say, I, could, I, think, I could be wrong. Oh, man, I don't. I, we're running out of time. Um, I, I'm only. I'm only mindful that you know, flight center is is the same in in the travel space, and people are predicting flight center's doom for as long as the internet's been around. Right? Mm. It was always going to die next year and the year after, and that's almost the counterpoint of like it's trying. To, it's really difficult to work out. Do you try and buy the next thing? Should they have bought Webjet? Probably. Should they have bought whatever? Should I have normal buy Temple or Webster? Probably. By the same token, the shareholders of those businesses haven't been particularly badly dealt with, you know, as a, as a result of of that lack thereof. Um, I guess the open question is what sort of growth do you expect in it and you know, can they keep growing? They're already 25% of the market, as you say. Um, there is some ROI question. But, yeah, like I, I, it's a difficult one. It's a really – but as investors, right, we've got the same problem because mm. we, uh, we can buy part shares of all of these businesses effectively. Like, you know, should the banks buy Afterpay? Maybe, maybe not. We could buy Afterpay. Mm. You know, should Harvey Norman buy Temple or Webster? Again, maybe, maybe not. We could do it. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe the question is a better question – for, you know the way we're asking it as, as investors of how do you how do you think about mm. buying or not buying disruptive businesses? When do you buy them? How do you buy them? We'll come back to that next week, mate. I'll, I'll put that on the docket. Yeah, I've got hey, a lot to say on that. I love. I, love, I know. Love it yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think it's a, it's important one, right? Because if we yeah. get it right, or if it's an invest, important investing strategy, because if you're going to do that, think about the best way to do it. Because you can't buy everything. If you buy every biotech and every miner and every tech company and every whatever, you own the ASX. <laughs> Most mm. of them go broke anyway. Mm. And then try, if you buy some of them and you buy the wrong ones, you miss out. If you buy only a couple, you buy the right ones, you feel like you're a genius, you're probably just lucky. So anyway, we'll come back to that. Mate, um, to be continued. Let's, let's do a little bit of tech because we've got a few minutes left. I mentioned Tesla earlier. I mentioned a trillion dollars earlier and they come together nicely this week because Tesla hit a one trillion US dollar market capitalization. Mm. on the back of a deal with Hertz. Now, mate, can you help me out? Because here's the thing. They did a $4.2 billion deal with Hertz to buy 100,000 cars? Yeah, right? 100,000. Right. They So they did a $4 billion deal and the market cap went up by 100 
billion dollars. Mm. So I've got an, I've got an idea for you. If I can go out in the street and get someone to buy buy you know four grand's worth of product from me, will you give me a hundred grand for my business? Potentially. This I is- know. I don't. I don't potentially. I want. I want an answer, mate. The, the market's giving has pushed Tesla up by a hundred billion dollars on one. $4 billion contract. Well, it's 25 more, times sales. It's more than that though, isn't it? Is it? So the argument here is is that this is this is a major event which signals that this is this is again th- this idea that this is just happening. This is the way that the world is going. Now you've got Hertz starting to offer all of these cars. And these, and even this deal is tiny, but it shows you that that the mindset is changing. And mm. and 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 it gives you a glimpse of what the the future might look like, which is potentially a lot more of these kinds of deals, mm. um, and that that's why it's gone up. It, it it's sort of like if you sell four thousand dollars worth of goods, maybe your market <laughs> value does go up if you didn't have to do anything to sell, and people were knocking on your door and outbidding each other in <laughs> desperate scrambles. Like, well, he's only sold that much, but if he whatever it is of Scott widgets that he, yeah, he comes yeah. up with, he'll be able to sell them really quickly at a much higher price and be able to do that for a long, long time. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You, you, your value should go up a hundredfold or whatever it is, or maybe even more. So that's, that's what you've got to look at. It's not just this one deal. It's what this one deal says or, or potentially indicates about the future. But does it? That's my question. I, that's the bull case. You're absolutely right. That's what the market's done. And who am I to say the market's wrong? Except that's what I do for a quid, generally speaking. Not sorry about Tesla, just in general. But that's the open question, right? Is yeah. like, you know, if, if you know, I get the deal. I, I Hertz is only just out of bankruptcy, by the way. So it's an open question about whether this money will ever find its way to Tesla in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Even Let's assume it does. Yeah. How much do we really know about Tesla? It's more than we knew this time last week. In terms of no new cars, no new pricing, no new, I mean, a new sale well. being agreed. But, you know, mm. like it's, it's, a, it's a, I just, try, I, is it worth more? Yeah. 25 times the increment. Oh. On one sale, it's not like again. I like you know, I, if if you can't in your imagination see your way through to something that a one one contract deal does with one car rental company that frankly may or may not be in business any longer. And by the way, that deal with a rental company is they're a third party player for like some Uber drivers who could buy it cheaper off Tesla directly. Mm. I I'm not saying the market's wrong. I'm not saying Tesla. Wrong. I'm not saying Hertz is wrong. I'm just saying adding a hundred billion dollars worth of re- value, total value on the back of one contract. I don't know, mate. I, I don't know if you couldn't have imagined something similar, $100 billion cheaper. And I'm not sure if the, what the value of that one deal being done, if it ends up getting done, actually being delivered and, and paid for, is worth that much more money. It, it, it just seems to me like the market's gone, oh, cool, any excuse? Sure, knock yourselves out, up, upgrade the shares. Yeah, well, this, this is- Am I too is, cynical? No, no, look, this, this is where, where um, listeners will be really listening, the, uh, the former co-host of this podcast. Who, <laughs> Who Doc knew Tesla inside and out, and has got a yes. lot of shares. Drives a Tesla and has got a lot of shares in Tesla. Um, so he's he's probably doing cartwheels down the street right now, um, and he knows it far much better. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be a poor second to try and answer this question. And I don't own shares in Tesla directly, although I do through some ETFs. Um, but but I do see the argument here, and the thing that's fascinating about this is that this is um, a lot of very smart people went short mm. Tesla. Mm. Um, uh, really smart, successful investors, very mm. real, were, and, and on really good arguments too. This yeah. is a business that was burning through uh, a cash. It really only survived on the good grace of the market and the ability to yep. continue to raise cash and the rest of it. And just got absolutely burnt, absolutely mm-hmm. burnt. Mm-hmm. The gross margins for the for Tesla in its most recent reporting was forty percent. I mean, this is a car company, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it and. Something is going on here, and it, mm. it, it's it seems as though now is the price fair or not? I don't know. The, if you pro rata the recent quarter results, you're looking at a P of 133 for a car company. <laughs> yeah, um, it's you worth know. more than the others combined. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Elon Musk <laughs> is not only the richest person in the world. I read the other day he's the richest person that has ever lived. There so you, you could take King Midas and adjust just his wealth for inflation <laughs> or take one of the pharaohs of ancient Egypt yeah. and, you know, it's just like he's, he's richer than anyone that's ever lived. And, um, so, so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a separate sort of argument here. But, geez, yeah. geez they're doing something really clever here. These gigafactories, are, go into a YouTube spiral and, and have a look at the Tesla gig. <laughs> so they're, they're basically, they're, they just take raw materials in one end and spit out Tesla out of the other with high levels of automation. And, and I, I can, I can it, huge investments 
This is where Elon's, I think, been smart. Very long-term thinking, a preparedness to bleed cash, an ability, an amazing ability to raise, to, to, to tell a story and to raise cap, capital to fund all of this kind of stuff. Mm, mm. But it's like, it's like the, uh, the first, you know, uh, big biro that was ever made. <laughs> So we probably spend, you know, a couple million dollars in building the machine, right? So the first yeah, biro that yeah. comes out is literally worth a couple million. That's, that's how much it costs us to make it. Yeah, right, right, right. But yeah. then once we've spat out, uh, you know, 10 million of them, you know, at a point, it's just like it's it, it's only the cost of the raw materials because we, we put it through. The mm-hmm. machinery's already been paid for. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and they're kind yeah, of totally. doing this in this very clever where they have just built for scale, assumed so that the scale right? is going to yeah. come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's sort of like the economics just get better and better mm-hmm. and better mm-hmm. and better the more throughput there is. And now you've got Herter ordering $100,000 cars. They had some really good orders in terms of what they've delivered, despite mm-hmm. all the chip shortages, despite all the supply chain bottlenecks, despite all these other kinds of things and COVID and the rest of it. It's just... It's just got all of this traction. So I look, I'm not buying shares in it directly. I don't know it well enough. <laughs> um, it does on the surface look like it's a little bit silly. But there is a part of me that thinks actually maybe maybe not. Um, I, I, I can see a world in which these guys just absolutely, um, they'll never own it all, but own a significant mm-hmm. part of the market and and are able to do so very – they've been profitable for what? How many? Nine quarters in a row or something now? Um uh, they're getting there. They're doing it, and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to bet against it. Put it that way. I'm not buying shares, but I certainly wouldn't go short. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, my issue is not even necessarily with the overall valuation, though. I do think it's. It's. I think the market is assuming a lot will go right, and I think whenever you front load a valuation that far, you don't leave much room for things not going that right. Right. Mm-hmm. The assumption you have to make to believe Tesla worth a trillion dollars is. Again, I, I you know I know you were saying it with with a straight face. We say, hey, it's been profitable for a couple of years. So it's not losing money, yeah. So it's worth a trillion dollars then. Ah, mm. uh, that's a big jump, right? So I, I know, you, I know you're, I know you're, you, you won't say like that point. I don't mean to devil's, to be, devil's uh, advocate kind of thing. I should correct yeah, myself too. It's a thirty percent gross margin. Sorry, almost not forty percent. Just to be clear. Nice, nice. Um, I don't, look, I, I, so my my issue was with the, with the announcement specifically. Uh, everything else aside, uh, a market that says you signed a four billion deal, therefore the company's worth a hundred billion dollars more. I just find it's not four billion of profit, but it's a four billion dollar sale. Mm. And so if the margins, well, to your point, let's let's call it a thirty percent margin. So they're going to bank one point four billion dollars on that ish. Mm. Mm. So you know the increments are P of eighty on on that incremental order, which may or may not be repeated next year. It may or may not repeat by other car companies. And again, even if it was going to be, is that genuinely incremental? What the business was already going to do? Did no one think there was going to be a Hertz deal? Like you, you pay nine hundred billion dollars for something and you say Hertz is never going to buy this. And they do say, oh, oh, okay, well, that's worth hundred billion more. It's like, what? I just, I find the, I find the increment really, really hard to swallow. I just, and it's not about Tesla even. It's just about, you know, the market getting excited. Or as I said before, sometimes pessimistic. But when you kind of get that excitement, I'm, the contrarian is like, uh, this is not, this is not, you know, this is not a rational market responding rationally to to that specific announcement. Again, overall price aside. Um, so was it really not? Is, Imagine Woolley saying, "Oh, so we've uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna sell some groceries in uh, New Zealand now," and the market goes, "Oh, really? Okay, well, well let's let's put another hundred billion dollars in your market." I was like, "No, it's not going to do that." So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to move on, mate. Last one. Okay, you're you're a, you're a Bitcoin fan, aren't you? I got Bitcoin. Yeah, and you've got some other stuff, haven't you? Some Ethereum, uh, Dogecoin, no, Ethereum. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I'm doing very well on that. Thank you for asking. It's, well, uh... so if I was a speculator. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm gonna not. I'm gonna throw you. Shot. I'm gonna throw you some some support here. If I was a if I was a rampant speculator, and I knew that around the world there are truckloads of funds, managed funds, fund product manufacturers as they're called in the trade, who are all looking to create a Bitcoin ETF, and those people who are like, I kind of get Bitcoin, but I don't want a wallet, and I don't want the Bitcoins. It's all too hard and too weird and too strange. But now I can jump on the ASX and type in ASX, you know, BTC or whatever the codes are, mm. and all of a sudden own a Bitcoin ETF or a crypto ETF, mm. and all that money's got to find a home somewhere. I am not entirely sure I would just straight out, you know, and I'm not going to do this, and I don't think anyone should do this. But if I was a betting man, I have, I would have to believe there's some some short to medium term frothiness that gets added to the to the crypto prices just because of that flow of money alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, we often talk about how, you know, wherever there's a, a saleable product that, you know, an investment banker will put something together. 
So the, the question isn't, <laughs> is this true. a good idea? The question that's is, so if I true. build this, will someone, will oh, someone yeah, buy it? That's, that's why they do it, right? They, they, yeah. make, they, they only build things they think they can sell. Yeah. That's the point. I, I, but I actually like the approach too because, I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, again, there's a lot. It's, it's, I, I've, I'm really embarrassed to sort of say that I own some of these things because you do get, I feel as though I get be. lumped with tinfoil hat wearing <laughs> Hoddle, you know, buy it, <laughs> doge to yeah. the moon. The, and all the this. libertarian destroy all governments oh, group. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of silliness in that space, yeah. a lot of yeah. froth, and, I, and I, I, I'm the first to acknowledge <laughs> uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I've, and the analogy I've given before, it's like it's like the late 90s with the internet <laughs> where it's just sort of like, yes, there's all this great hope and yes, promise, yeah, but yeah, 99% of the, the companies in that space will go to zero. I think that's going to be the same with crypto, to be honest. There's, there's a whole bunch of stupid stuff out there and it, it's, mm, it, mm. I wouldn't buy it with your money, <laughs> as they say. Mm. Um, but that's where that, again, is part of the appeal of an ETF where rather than trying to have to pick mm. the winner, Mm. You're by, de- by definition just buying the whole basket, knowing that, yes, most of it won't go well, but the ones that yeah. do go well will probably go insanely well and, and overall I probably do okay. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't mm. know the structure, exactly how it's all going to work, but I, I think as a long-term play, as a yeah. reasonable proportion of an overall well-diversified portfolio, I don't, I don't, think, mm. it's, I don't think it's entirely silly. We should uh, we should have a better Bitcoin discussion at some other point so I can laugh at you properly for longer. But we're running out of time. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're running out of time. I just, I, just, I just think the ETF thing is just, if you think about just pure supply and demand, you've got a whole lot of people who all of a sudden want to own a Bitcoin ETF that wouldn't have gone and bought Bitcoin. And if you're a supply and demand kind of person, you're like, well, that's kind of going to add to the demand side and uh, there'll be more Bitcoin, more cryptos created. And so there's, there's some supply mm. to some degree. But mm. I don't know, mate. I, I, I'm not going to do it because I just can't be bothered. Um, but if I, if I was going to have a straight out punt, uh, betting on the fact that Bitcoin price goes up between now and whenever that ETF rush kind of gets fulfilled, um, just almost by definition. If all these funds have got to go and find the Bitcoin or buy the Bitcoin to put in the ETFs, and assume it's backed by literal, well, it's not it's virtual, so I can't even say physical physical Bitcoin, but you know what I mean, actual Bitcoin. Mm. Um, I, I've, got to, I've got to think that's probably just general... Upside of the price, do you? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that's totally reasonable. I mean, again, I'm not. I'm certainly not trying to speculate on it. Bitcoin no, could not, could, yeah. could go 10x tomorrow, and I yeah, probably wouldn't yeah. sell. You know, or, or it could drop by 90. percent I, I think please that's sell. not the game I'm trying to play. Please but, sell if it goes up 10x. Please but sell. no, no way. A favor. No way. Um, uh, but <laughs> but I think yeah, I think your I think your supposition is correct. I think that it's not unreasonable. It's always a safer thing to assume I'm right. You know that <laughs> Mate, will you come back on Sunday? Always. Beautiful. In the meantime, jump onto our respective socials, throw us some questions, follow our accounts. Andrew is exclusively on Twitter. He's uh, speaking of Jack Dorsey. I'm sure he's getting a nice fat uh, deal for, from Jack, which is just being on Twitter alone. <laughs> you can get Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. You can grab me or The Motley Fool on Twitter and Insta. The handles are the same. So if you're on Twitter or Insta, look up at The Motley Fool AU or at TMF Scott P. And on Facebook, you can find me at Scott Phillips Money, just facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. And The Motley Fool at facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. Uh, do check out our YouTube channel if you would, just The Motley Fool Australia on YouTube and my other podcast, The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, where we've got some very interesting... You know Greg McKenna, don't you? We talked about this last week. I can't remember if we did. Greg McKenna was on the podcast uh, on The Good Oil. Really, really smart bloke. Is that um, the... Really uh, the, great conversation. Police Union Bank? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Police Bank, yeah. Uh, really good guy. And we got a really... A, a friend of yours and mine, Andrew. Oh, yeah? Can't say too much. Ooh. Coming up next Tuesday. Ooh. It's... Well, I'll say she. That'll, that'll get the juices going. I wonder if you can guess. Until then, we'll mm. talk to you on Sunday. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.